welcome to Tomb or Tone. I'm your host, Daryl. And I'm Liz. And I'm Ian. Yay! Yay. And we are three siblings participating in NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month. And we are trying to write a novel, and we are currently at day eight of 30. Ooh. (laughs) We're just getting started. Yes. um, We're each writing a different book. And we have some similar characters and locations throughout them that we decided on, but all of our own books are our own thing. My book is about, it takes place in a fantasy world, and in it, the sun has stopped moving, so the main character has to set out to kill the king of the land in order to get the sun to start moving again. Uh, My book is a horror anthology, and I have six short stories planned for it, but currently I am only writing two of them. One is where this guy gets in contact with a spirit, and the spirit gives him a special knife that he can use to drain energy from other people, and the spirit promises him power in return for the energy. And then the other one is where a guy gets trapped in his house because his house falls into a sinkhole, Then it explores what's at the bottom of a sinkhole. Is it nothing? <laughs> yeah that's yeah. the most terrifying part oh no <laughs> hell is pretty. nothing as sart always said yeah and so my book is a like a creepy horror fantasy book that place takes place in like an americana based fantasy world that's pretty much it <laughs> all right so today on the 8th we are supposed to be at 13,333 words for each of our books. And uh, currently, I'm actually ahead of schedule. I'm at 17,219 words. So I have like a two-day buffer right now. And I am way behind schedule. So I'm at 4,442 words. And I am pretty behind schedule. At 7,474. Oof. But we, we plan to keep continuing currently, at least for one more week. <laughs> Just choking along. I don't know, man. That tomb's looking pretty pretty <laughs> tempting right now. I'm pretty snug and comfortable, as opposed to, like, drawing out our death. Yeah. yeah. Tomes are no fun. Tombs are comfy. Mm-hmm. I mean, all those skeletons stay buried there forever, and they're happy. Oh, man. They're so <laughs> lucky. Assume. Forever sleeping. That's not mm. really comfy right now. So, so Nano's going great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're thinking about dying as a favorable. Yeah. It's only day eight. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. So it's day eight, and so what have all of us written so far? That's what we're here to discuss: is how's our stories going? And right now, I'm trying to finish up. Uh, I split my book into eight separate acts. And I'm trying to finish up Act Two, so I'm I'd be a fourth of the way through it. And I just I have to introduce one of the characters, um, Liz's character Anna. She has to join the party before they set out to leave. Yay! And so what ha- happened in my stories? I start in like a a like a hometown, kind of like a shirey type of place. Except I I pictured just more like in the woods and less magical, more just normal. <laughs> less magical (laughs) yeah and in my book the main character had to meet his mentor and his mentor uh my main character is wyron and his mentor i named her yuris and yuris is she's kind of like 
it's hard because I didn't want to make her explicitly like Gandalf or Dumbledore, but she naturally fills that role because it's like she's old. She likes a lot of gray clothes, which I should probably change in the future. Um, she's very like smart and knowledgeable about the world, but I tried to make her more like biting and mean. Mm-hmm. Not like mean without reason, but just like she chides the main character for being kind of boyish and inexperienced. And so he had to meet her, and then I had to think up, because uh, my story is also following the monomyth, which is a theory put forth by Joseph Campbell that a lot of myths follow the same, like, a uh, 13-act structure, I think. And it starts with, like, the main character being in a nice little town, then they get a call to adventure, and they have to, like, venture out. Well, technically, first they have to deny the call, and then they have to venture out, and then something, like, magical has to happen. It's a lot of specifics, which I'm not sure how much I want to include in my book. Like, if I want to follow it strictly, like, if I want to have one woman that's, like, a goddess figure and one that's, like, a tempter. Mm-hmm. But I've been thinking about it, and I had to have, like, the main character, before he goes out to adventure, you have to fight the, the threshold guardian. And so I made it a big fish in my story. Because <laughs> <laughs> my character starts off on an island, and he has to sail to the mainland, and when he's doing that, like, a fish attacks him, and... Uh, Eurus and the guy that they're traveling with and the guy has to get pulled into the water and torn to pieces. Is the threshold guardian like something at the at the edge of beginning his adventure? Yes. And he has to get through yep. it? Oh, okay. That's what it's supposed to say. And sometimes it can be like more mythical like you know a griffin or some kind of thing. So that's why I wanted to do like a fish instead of a person. I had him actually challenge like a person earlier but that was to introduce like what his spirit could do. But I didn't consider that the the Threshold Guardian because he wasn't called to adventure yet. He wasn't like, this is my destiny is to become the king of the world. It's like, uh, I just have to stop this guy right now. Whereas the Threshold Guardian is the final barrier to the adventure. At least from my understanding. So what, did, what did the fish do? Bumped his boat a lot. <laughs> okay. When you're writing for Nano, you kind of just have to write quickly. Yeah. Wait, 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 hold on. That fish, all that fish did was bump his boat a lot? No, it also came up and it, it's... He it's bumped, a... he bumped again. He bumped a third time. And then he was just gone. I did. Bumped no, me it, thrice. It's, it's a sea knife. And so it, the forehead of it is covered in like coral and barnacles until it makes like a point. So it comes up on top of the boat too and it starts swinging the, its like artificial horn around trying to knock someone off. And that's how it knocked off oh, cool. the fisherman guy and then tore him apart. Then I was trying to get the main character. And then the main character's weapon is an axe, so he had to axe it in the side of the face and then it swam away. Sure. So it's the fish that got away. Yeah, because I was thinking it's like, would an axe... I, like, again, I don't know the anatomy of these creatures because I have to write this all in a day. So I'm like, do I kill this thing <laughs> or not? <laughs> like, would an axe be able to, like, get to its head? It's like, would it tip the boat? How big is it? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the, the problem with writing nano is when you have to introduce a creature, you're making everything up on the fly in a day, and then you breeze past it once you're done doing that. And so then it allowed my character to enter into the second act where it was like just doing a lot of scenery building and adventuring and trying to talk about what the land is like, the lore is like. And then they made it to the town where Anna is at and Nettie is at. Nettie's one of Ian's characters. And I had to introduce them and introduce what the town was like. And then uh, to get Nettie to join their group, because the main character has to get three people, adventurers, to pal up with him. Uh, Nettie did a kind of challenge, because 
like with a lot of these ancient mythical stories is you always have the main character being tasked to do certain like a gauntlet of challenges and so one of them netties was you have to guess what my spirit can do oh because i wanted to make it more like fun and loose like that and that's how she was gonna join up and i actually i just finished writing that uh today um does he know that he needs three people going into this yes and it's been very difficult because if i want to introduce the main villain earlier in the book i have to also be like because the main villain's thing is that he's not making the sun go down and he wants to meet with people to talk about the terms and conditions of performing the ceremony they'll make the sun go down he's using it as a bargaining chip in this world and i want the main character to meet him before we move on because the, the main villain has to kill the mentor i have to do that and mm-hmm. I have to think up a way, the mentor, to be like, you have to get these three people to stop him. But also at the same time, we're just going to go see him anyway. And I kind of want you to kill him. So does he know what three are they specifically? Like, you need to go get Nettie from yep. this island. Yeah, she said, oh, well, okay. she didn't say where. I just had her say, like, you have to get Nettie. And then I want you to get Clay. And then I want you to get Sahet. That's cool. So is that where you're at in your book, Ben? Uh, yeah, he just finished discovering what Nettie's spirit can do, which her special ability, uh, the main character's special ability is that his spirit devours any other spirit in the world, so it'll consume it and, like, gain its power briefly, and then Eurus's, the mentor's ability, is that her spirit is a reconnaissance, it goes around and listens to people, and then whispers what people talked about to Eurus. So it's like Varys and his little birds? Yes, yes. Except... (laughs) a magical like intangible thing that can go through walls and listen to anything and then (laughs) Nettie's spirit what it can do is it basically it copies money so it's like a counterfeiting spirit they'll take money and a piece of paper and it'll like copy it over to that piece of paper how was Wyron able to guess that spirit that's one of the things I was trying to think up when I was writing the scene it's like I want Nettie to say you know ask me six yes or no questions and then I'll tell you And he had to use, like, context clues, like, all right, she likes gambling a lot. She works in a tavern. There's not a lot of people that visit the tavern, but somehow she's still able to, like, spend a lot of money. Okay. And then also she's part of her and Eurus and the other people they have to go get and gather are part of the Moon Guard, which is, like, this elite group of people. And they all have, like, very powerful and notable spirits, kind of, to be part of the Guard. And so he was trying to think about what she could do and what her powers were. Because, yes, it's like, do you use it to fight? And she's like, no. And it's like, do you use it during your job? And she said, yes. And he's like, do you, you know, pour it in the drinks? Or do you put it into the, the pipes that people smoke from? And she'd say no. And he had to keep trying to figure out what exactly. So he played he played yeah. Grandpa's store with her. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's fun, though. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's those little things I keep trying to find out throughout my story to try and make it feel interesting and like an old mythological tale of like, I had to then guess the the six questions. Yeah. Or I had to make up six questions, I guess, and guess the spirit. Like, it that's the kind of stuff that draws me into mythological tales. Sure. I like, I like writing about and I want to evoke with my book. It's like when in Lord of the Rings, or rather The Hobbit, where Bilbo has to play the riddle game with Gollum. Yeah. Yeah, riddles are always fun. Do you find it hard, because you're writing a monomyth, like, you know, a tale, like, those are just made up of, like, a million different tropes. Like, are you finding it hard to, like, try to make some creative stuff? 
Um, that's something because since we're in the thick of it, I try not to think about too much about like, is this unique or creative enough? I kind of just like whatever I feel passionate about writing, I write. Sure. Especially because I like, I'm not quite like you where it's like, I'm going to take a really cool idea and put a twist on it. I'm kind of just like, I'm going to come up with my own things. And I think it's inspired from like this story or this myth, but because of the way I'm presenting it, generally I I hope that it feels genuine and novel. Okay. Um, and so far, that's where I'm at with my story. All right, I guess we'll move on to mine then. Uh, so I began by writing the one with the guy where he meets the spirit and uses that little knife. And I started it out just trying to establish my main character in that is tall and... I tried to establish that he, ever since he was a child, he had an obsession with spirits. Because in my universe, or I guess in this world, spirits are basically just like almost tangible things, but not everyone has seen them and not everyone believes. But they are like well-known enough and people have gotten powers from them in the past that have been documented. Is it kind of, oh, it's been documented? Yeah. Because I was going to ask, is it kind of like how people saw demons in like the middle ages yeah i mean it's almost like that but then uh just a little more tangible but then some people still you know consider that documentation kind of flukes or that it's been faked because mm-hmm. it's not like documented by the government i don't or know anything. It's just... back in the middle ages those people sure did believe that those spirits <laughs> are real yeah and we do have, there are like <laughs> documentations of that well and so. and you know they when they said like you know like oh demons made the crops fail they literally believed that demons <laughs> were making their crops fail <laughs> well, then, yeah maybe it's like that but so he when he was a child he got this book that was basically a giant encyclopedia of like all the spirits in the world that could be written about and I decided to make the author Professor Clay Sparks because uh... I know <laughs> on our last podcast I was having trouble deciding where to put him, and now I figured out that he's going to be the author. And at some point, my main character is actually going to go and meet him. It's like in the uh, the the oh. horror movie whenever they contact the occult guy. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, "Oh, what you got here is you know a class A poltergeist," and then they're like, "Thanks, Professor <laughs> Know It All." Are you going to tie in the nervous tick that he has in his, like, left eye with the spirits? Uh, I hadn't, I haven't planned what to do with the tick yet. I haven't even planned exactly why he's going to go meet him. Oh, just that he wants to go there for information? Yeah. So, he actually might go meet him because of what happens later, because... So, he started out in my first, like, the beginning of the book starts out where he is going to Beetle Quarry. And he basically explains that when he was a kid, he got that book, and he, ever since then, he was just obsessed with spirits. He, like, learned everything he could about them, and he spent years trying to meet one. Because not everyone gets to meet them. They just, like, will randomly appear, sort of. Is is this supposed to be, like, forbidden knowledge, the spirits thing? No, it's not. No, it's, it's, it's almost an occult thing. Okay. But definitely, like, anyone can get into it. It's just that they don't appear for everyone. Okay. It's almost kind of a religious thing. And so he got extremely into it, and he's... How old did I make him? I think I made him 32. Hmm. Or he's turning 32 in, like, two weeks in, in the beginning. And for, like, ever since he was that old, he's been just trying to meet a spirit. And eventually, about 10 years ago, 
he learned that you could meet one at Beetle Quarry if you performed a ritual. And so the ritual involves him having to grow this plant for a decade, because I had to think of a reason why he wouldn't have went to meet this spirit sooner. Mm-hmm. And it was because he tried, he like had to grow this giant plant for a decade, and he actually at one point bought one, and it turned out to be a fake, and so he wasted years doing that. But so then this was the real one, so he goes to Beetle Quarry, he has the real plant, he goes down into the bottom of it, to this waterfall there's like people around and some of them are just hanging out some of them are praying because in mine beetle quarry is like such a spiritual place and he basically just has to boil this plant in water and then drink the water and then the spirit is supposed to appear and so he does all that and the spirit appears and he's just in awe and it took me a while to like write this spirit because it was kind of hard to describe or think of a way to describe it Mm-hmm. And then he meets it, and he's basically like, hey, it's awesome to meet you, where's my power? And the spirit goes, I can't give power to you, basically you're kind of evil inside, like something's wrong with you. And then the spirit disappears. Oh. And Wait, yep, when, and so when, he, when is he supposed to get the knife that drains energy? Well, so the spirit disappears, and he's really irked by all that. And he drives back home to his house that he shares with Anna, because in my book they're dating. And uh, he starts looking through all his books again to try and find any other spirit, because now he's just like in a crazed state that this spirit rejected him, the first one he ever met. And he finds another ritual that he had never wanted to do before because he thought it was too gruesome. But now he's so desperate that he sleeps on it and wakes up and decides he has to do it and he has to do it now. Oh, so instead he's going to be doing like an even worse ritual to summon a spirit? Yeah. Okay. And so he goes back and this time instead of going into the quarry, he goes into the wooded area around it. And this time too, he instead of bringing a plant with him, he brings a cat. Oh no. (laughs) Yep. And so he decides that it needs a blood sacrifice. And basically, the cat ends up ex- escaping, uh-huh. and it runs into the woods, and he starts chasing it through the woods, and he ends up at Tooth and Nail Ironworks. And he doesn't find the cat there, but he steps inside, and this is where he meets the real spirit of the story. Oh. And so it's just this real creepy thing that's hanging out in the darkness, and it says, I have a gift for you if you'll do what I ask. And with the promise of power, Tall agrees that he'll do what it asks. And so it passes him a knife and a bag. It says, use the knife to drain energy from people. Put it, the energy in the bag. Bring it back to me and I'll give you power. And that was, the, that was pretty much the end of my first chapter. I mean, that's a lot of stuff that happens. Yeah. And, so I, and then I took a break from that. And just today I started writing... The very beginning of the one with the guy that goes into the sinkhole. Yes. And I just wrote, I wrote like the very opening of that. And basically, (laughs) all I've written so far is him describing what it was like when it originally went into the sinkhole. And then he says briefly who he is, which is in my, I'm using uh, Wyron for my main character in this. And basically who he is, that his house fell into a sinkhole and that I decided that, too, I'm going to write this book, like, journal style. 
So he slowly is going to write it. He'll be like day one, 6 a.m., you know, day one, 12 p.m., and he'll just slowly describe what's happening for however long he makes it down here. Cool. Yeah, and that's basically where I am and so far in any of the books that I've written. Uh, a few questions for your first story. Um, do you have any, like, I don't know, hierarchy of the spirits that you've made up? No. Okay. Um, sounds really dumb, because they're kind of like gods, but in my head, they're also kind of like Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> they're all mostly on equal footing. Some of them are a little good. Some of them are a little bad. They appear randomly, although you have, like, you can do things to give you a higher chance of finding them. Mm-hmm. Like Pokemon. Yep, like you go in tall grass <laughs> at night. You can also use, I think there's an item you can use that makes random encounters occur more often. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So there's, no, there's none that are like, you know, the top tier spirits. They're all just kind of these things that affect the world differently. Like the actual, the first spirit he met actually created the plant that he has to grow in order to see it Hmm. okay because that's like its special thing that it gave to the earth because some of them helped in building the earth they are kind of like gods and then there's there's also uh malevolent ones Mm -hmm. that exist which is basically the one he met in tooth and nail okay and they're just kind of out there for their own selfish needs cool yep does that mean it's my turn i thought you had more questions (laughs) I, I did have more. They're, they've escaped me. He had more, but then he heard Pokemon, and he was like, well. Ooh. Yeah, and then I was trying to think of, like, is it PK meter? Is that what? <laughs> that's like, Earthbound. PK yeah, that's Earthbound. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very tired. <laughs> oh, yeah, we should, we should explain Ian's about to go to bed after this. Yeah, so. Yeah, he works the graveyard shift, so. <laughs> yeah, and this is another day where I've gotten, like, I don't know, maybe, like, three and a half hours of sleep. So. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so brain's not brain's not moving so quickly anyway so my book so my book starts off in three thickets which is one of the locations we all have to use mm-hmm. and it is during a festival it's a harvest festival where everyone puts their kids to bed really early and then they all go out and get super smashed and they wade into the three thickets lake which in mine, because it's dammed and it's in the middle of what would be the Midwest, it only floods to be about like, like three and a half feet deep. Oh, okay. So even though it's like it's like a mile across, like you know, quote unquote, sea or lake, it's just you can wade through the whole thing. Hmm. And so they just wade out there and they just get drunk and have fun, and then they just gather <laughs> fish all night. Oh, they and gather then, fish. Yeah, and then because there's a really bad. Uh, like a dust bowl happening in my book, the fish actually became like a secret blessing because they could use that to make really uh, really good fertilizer mm. for the land. And so that's oh. why everywhere around there is like hurting real bad, but three thickets is prosperous is because they have this stupid festival and they get their... <laughs> anyway, that has nothing to do with the actual... <laughs> no, but actual it's, it's fun like lore building stuff. Like, oh, yeah. Like when that gets added. Yeah, it's interesting. So, uh, so... Starts off with uh, Nettie is leading Sahet, who in my book is named Sihu. Mm-hmm. And so she's leading her through the crowd, and then they kind of like meander their way through this festival while crazy things are happening. And they move all around town, and they pick up each person, and each person has kind of like an introductory thing. 
So they head to like this a uh, tavern, and then that's where Tall and Anna are, and Anna's like a super bubbly, like what you would call like a wealthy Midwestern wife. So she's oh, like wow. got all these like nice dresses and like her parasol, even though it's like <laughs> pitch, even though it's nighttime, and she's got all these like steamer trunks and luggage and stuff. I just want to say like Anna in my book when she's introduced, she's a pit fighter. So she's actually yeah. like kind of well built and she's like bubbly, but she's bubbly in like a, this is like a fun beating up people kind of way. So here oh, you describe yep. that character as like now like all prim and proper is a funny juxtaposition. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so tall in my book, he is, he's like got a suit and he's just like very somber and quiet and he gives like one word answers to everything. And yeah, he seems like a jerk so far. And it, it, <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Jerk in every version. Yeah, and as far as it, I've written him in my story, he's like the biggest jerk. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, I the, need him to be good in some universe. The plans I have for him. I mean, in mine, he's supposed to be like a tragic figure. Well, I guess like in mine, he has like I guess flaws that make him like relatable. But he still, like, makes very poor decisions. So. so it's like, you can understand why he is the way he is, but you still judge him for it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so they leave, and then they have, like, a bunch of funny scenes where Nettie is having to, like, haul all the stupid luggage, like, behind her. And, like, a huge, you know, like, sack, and she's, like, pulling it like an ox. And she's just, like, you know, cussing and swearing in, uh, in like, Old West language. <laughs> and then and then uh see who's like uh she's like all right you're ready to head to the wagon she's like nah i need you to head and go pick up someone first he's a late addition and so she heads to clay sparks's place because he actually lives in town and i dropped a lot of hints in there about his like his religious past and stuff mm-hmm. and then he's like he's at least like got like a cool like a lot of like tinkering sciencey stuff in there and he's like oh and he's like super like nice and old man and friendly so they leave and then they go back to the wagon and where Nettie's just finished getting like strapping everything to the top of the wagon. And uh, that's where you find that, uh, what's his name? Wyron has been waiting with the wagon. And he's like a real like kind of like country bumpkin type guy and he's real quiet. And <laughs> he's like, oh, yes, ma'am. How you doing? You know, how you folks doing? <laughs> and so far he's... Because I've written, like, I'm up to chapter three. He hasn't really done anything. Which, I, if I did a rewrite, I'd need to give him a lot more to do so far. Because he's kind of a nothing character. It sounds like we're all going to make wiring completely different. Well, what is your wiring even supposed to be like, Liz? Well, my wiring's just... I mean, it's all him going through a horrible, torturous thing. So it's him afraid? <laughs> oh, he'll be doing that in mine, too. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, everybody dies. <laughs> whereas, like, whereas mine, he's the main character that has to make like all the hard decisions. Yeah. And I also, I pictured my clay, uh, my clay being very crotchety and not nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Like he's he's gonna be like the the angry old man that you get, like it's difficult to talk to. Where he's like, rah, rah. like Scrooge <laughs> McDuck. That could work. Yeah, so then my chapter two is it's just them on the road just trying to get to know them. Oh, and at the end of the first chapter, there's a big, like, to-do because um, they start painting this giant green X on the back of the wagon. And and then everyone's like, all right, we got to get out of town. And then see who's like, what's up? Because she's the only one from, like, not from around the area. 
Mm-hmm. And Nettie's said, I can't remember what I wrote. It was something real dumb that like, like, oh, that, that means, you know, we're the, basically the wagon of the dead. And then chapter two starts off with her being like, why won't anyone tell me what that means? And they're like, oh, we can't, you know, it's against the rules and all this other stuff. So she doesn't know what's going on. So is Sihu essentially kind of like the, the reader in that instance where yeah. she's going to get things explained to her as they're traveling? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then chapter two is just kind of a lot, little bit more character development, which I, I was writing that today, today in the doctor's office, so I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really have a lot of like, you know, I don't know, time to really think it through. I'd like to do like everyone has like a little bit of, of the chapter to be like, oh, you know, I'm a character too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But all I basically set up was, I had a really confrontational scene between Tall and Anna. Where he like he comes out and he's like yeah he's like yelling and stuff and she immediately blocks her throat and everyone's kind of looks at each other like oh that's not good yeah and then then he's like I said something I think he says something racist he basically walks through the woods (laughs) I was just like oh man this guy's got some issues (laughs) oh man Porto he's a monster you can't catch a break in any book (laughs) and then chapter three in order to set a bunch of other stuff up I'm gonna have them they're hiding their wagon because. I guess finally, uh, Anna and Tala, since they're the Richie Riches on the on the journey, have been like, "All right, we need to cover this Green X thing up and try to actually get some people to interact with us with us before we get into the mountains." Hmm. So, I like the Green X. It's really it sets up like an ominous. Yeah. Where you're like, oh no. What why, is... why why do they paint the Green X? Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing I'm trying to get into. Is I I'm trying to like. I gotta start adding more like mysteries as I go along, and like creepy stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh. Just sprinkling it in. Oh, but so the green X is there's. Did I mention this last time? No. It's, honestly, cannot remember what I said. Okay. <laughs> um, I cannot remember. So there's been these like uh these journeys that leave out of towns because back before, basically it would be back before the white people came in and stole the land. There were a bunch of trails, and natural tra- trails that, like, the indigenous people used. And these trails were, like, super great ways to cut th- directly through mountains. And since then, these trails have been lost because, you know, the people are now lost. Mm-hmm. And so every now and again, people, for whatever reason, come together and try to head into these mountains to try to find the pass through. Because the way I have my map set up is it's, like, you know, days and days and days journeys to get around the map. Or get around the mountains, mm-hmm. and so the idea of having a you know a one day journey through the through the mountains would be you know economically viable. Yeah. For the for, yeah for the local people, so these people paint a green X on their wagon as kind of like a ritual to be like, all right, we're heading into the mountains. Wish us luck. But the fact that everyone goes and nobody comes back, it's you know cursed. A lot of superstition over that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, so they're basically painting a green X on because they know that they're trying to get through the mountains and they're like, well, you're not going to make it. Yeah, it's like declaring that they're going to attempt to do that. And like Nettie said, they're basically the the walking dead yeah. because nobody ever comes back because nobody has found the way through the mountains yet. Aww. And actually, that's that's eventually you're going to find out that that is what, uh, what is a, uh, oh, Horus! <laughs> <laughs> What uh, what Horace ended up doing? I forgot about and that's, Horace. That's why he went missing a few years ago was because he tried to go through the pass. Oh. Mm. 
Liz, you're not supposed to forget because you're writing a story with Myron. In. I know. So, I just so started you have to that put today, him though. into the journal entries. <laughs> I like how the one thing that was written down for all of us is like you must include. <laughs> He's the most important part. He was tragically lost. I'm just gonna name my <laughs> anthology Horace. <laughs> so I don't know if I just say it. Like I, I very specifically have character arcs written for all of my characters. That's interesting. I don't know if I should mention them or save them uh, until you, the stuff starts. You can happening. save them until you uh, write it. Okay. You write them in, yeah. Yeah, like I know what I know what everyone's motivation is, and I know how like the evil forces in the book are going to exploit them, and I know how they are going to die. So, uh, oh man, it's yeah. so dark. See, I haven't even thought up about what certain characters, what really their main motivation or goals are. Which is why it's so difficult trying to figure out how they're supposed to join Wyron up for my story. Because I'm like, why would they want to join him? Yeah. I mean, I mm. mean, I guess that's why, like, I'm really far ahead because I'm, I'm not planning anything. I'm just, like, I'm feeling it out as I'm writing. And I'm like, I hope this is good. And usually it's not that good. <laughs> I hope this is okay. <laughs> yeah, the, the last little thing of interest or note with uh, Wyron is I don't know if I should make... Him and Horace have like a fraternal love or like a romantic love. Mm. As far as his motivation for like running after him. Yeah. For me, Horace is a girl. And what? They, <laughs> yeah, they, they knew each other. Wait, that's a spoiler. I didn't know that. <laughs> what a twist. Changes everything. <laughs> yeah, and they, they were childhood friends. So for me, it, it couldn't even develop into anything more important than like just the fact that he felt like he had a close bond to her. Oh. Wow. This horse in my book is totally a man. <laughs> <laughs> Same with mine. Although maybe not anymore. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think horse is more of like a manly. Horse is I don't just know. an idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The idea of someone you miss. Yeah. Oh. All right. It's a tear, a tear slides down Wyron's cheek. <laughs> You could, it would be interesting, because at least the, the way I write a lot of stories now, I sometimes just make sure to include some kind of diversity or LGBT representation, just because it's, like, more fun to do that. Like, for me, uh, Eurus is a lesbian, and I it's always hard to find out where to put that in, in, like, a passing comment, because I never want to make it seem like, and she's a lesbian. <laughs> yeah. It's more like sure. Nettie makes a joke that's like, oh, you're traveling with boys now, because she's with Wyron. Yeah. I guess, too, I feel like it also depends how many romantic relationships you have in your story. Because it sounds like you just have Anna and Tall, which... <laughs> which yeah. isn't romantic as much as it's... Is kind it's of yeah, kind of horrifying. <laughs> 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 so it might be cool to write that in, to at least have, like, one nice romantic relationship. Yeah. Alright, Um. so the next thing we're going to talk about is we're each going to... Bring up something that we've, like, discovered or that interests us during the writing process that kind of, like, has piqued our interest. And uh, for me, writing my story, the thing that I am struggling with a lot that I wish I knew a better way to do it is introducing lore of the world organically to the story. Because a lot of the times you learn that it's bad writing if you have another character just exposit to another where they're sitting there and then a person comes in and it's like, did you know how the world was made? And they just do it <laughs> like four paragraphs. No, oh, but it's yeah. so easy though. 
it is so easy and that's one of the problems especially because my world has a lot of like weirder lore like i i have to introduce that the sun doesn't go down every hundred years because the sun is actually the soul of a god and his soul and the moon's soul are connected and their original bodies is actually the landmass that everyone is on right now they're technically on the the moon the moon and the sun fought each other and then died one on top of the other and the moon's body became my entire world and the sun's body became the world beneath the ocean which is basically the afterlife or hell and that's where spirits come from so it's hard trying to introduce those concepts without dumping it all at once it's like alluding to it or just like nudging but at some point you have to get into like the like this is this is the mythology of the world isn't the problem then too that like if you're like i'm going to introduce it organically and you're like halfway through your book and you're like man i still have not explained yet what is up with these the moon and the sun yeah yeah well I, I, and then and then by that point it's so late in your book everyone's like oh like i still don't know what's going on with this world and you're like oh, don't just hold on it'll come organically well i made sure to try and do that in chapter two because one of my methods was um, they come to a town that's at the bottom of a canyonette and it, there's like a waterfall nearby and you approach it from the riverside, which is like, it leads to the waterfall. So you have to go down these steps that are carved into the mountain to get down into the town and above the steps carved into the mountain is like different figures that represent how the world was made. Oh. So as Wyron is walking down and he sees like the sun and the moon fighting and then the moon dying on top of the sun like he just exposits just to like the reader well not not he it's secondly me because this is a third person story so it's like then the moon fought the sun and that's how i was trying to do it because it's like oh this is like relevant because wyron's admiring the mythology of their world mm-hmm. but then there's a bunch of other stuff like i have not written anything about the spirits where they come from what people think of them how you enter into like a contract with them. I don't even know if I have a contract with spirits anymore. Spirits have played like such a backseat role to the internal politics of my world that I'm like, do I even need to introduce them or do people just have these powers? Hmm. Is that something you think maybe like in a second pass you would go back in and like hammer home like earlier? Like, oh, this is a bigger deal. Oh yeah, I, there's there's a whole bunch of different things I keep thinking about like through a second pass. Like the very beginning of my book is completely aimless. Like it just starts and it just talks about the long day and then Wyron's life, but he's like doing nothing until halfway through that chapter when he's like, "Oh, I have to go and see." Like when Eurus arrives, and it's like, "Oh, he has a point in the story," rather than just me telling the reader that it, the sun doesn't go down and what his life is like. Hmm. Liz, didn't you have th- things you were going to bring up? Well, yeah, so, well, the first thing I was going to say was basically what you said, where I was, like, trying to explain your lore gets to a point where you're so far in and the reader's just confused, just kind of lost in the world. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I was going to bring up is that, uh, would you end up just completely getting rid of spirits and only have it just they just have powers there's no spirits See, it's hard because i also have the mythology of the the vile one which is pretty much my voldemort or my uh sauron in this story which is this creature that can control dead bodies and balls them up into like a giant mass of death mm-hmm. sort of like legion from castlevania It's just this ball of corpses that it uses to go places and it was trying to destroy the day spire. 
And I have not introduced any of that backstory. People have referred to the vile one, but they haven't like said what happened in that battle. Mm-hmm. And I don't know because I really like the idea of it being like a conscious thing because uh, Tall is the one that kills the vile one, and then the vile one infects Tall and slowly starts having Tall do its bidding, which is why Tall's a tragic figure because he's slowly being corrupted, but he wants to believe he's fighting back against it, but he's not like he's succumbing to it but would that need to be a spirit or could that have just been a person that had some really twisted powers that that is an interesting point it's also hard because like i wanted to give it that that flavor of the otherworldliness that you know this isn't just like a human that's doing this this is like some force of death yeah yeah or like evil god essentially because i wanted to make it feel like this you don't just overcome the vile one like it's not like an easy task to do this is this greater being because so far no other spirit has done what it can do and one of the things it can also do is it commands other spirits really well so you have to have a spirit that either stays inside your body the whole time or is like mute and unthinking like uh wyron's is so wyron's spirit is unable to be corrupted but other people are and that's why a lot of people still follow tall even though he's not making the sun go down is because they're like compelled to do so through their spirits have you uh have you nailed down like what where the spirits come from yeah the spirits the spirits come from the corpse of the sun and there's like five different i think it's actually four different nodes that they they emerge from like pits or caverns wait so they come from hell or or is hell not necessarily a bad place in this? It's not necessarily a bad place. It's kind of like this crazy, lawless kind of alien land. <laughs> okay. Like, like when you're talking about, like, is there a hierarchy to it? And it's like, there kind of is, but it's like, it's kind of like what you picture hell to be, where there's a hierarchy, but it's just filled with people killing each other and backstabbing and, like, all these crazy creatures running around. Like, it's just a place you wouldn't want to live. <laughs> so no one ever goes there. <laughs> yeah does that mean that most spirits that people like uh get assigned or get you know the bond with them does that mean that all the spirits are bad not all of them depending on where it's like the the hell cavern it comes from there's like there's one that's full of selfish ones then there's one that's full of benevolent ones then there's one that's full of um stoic ones like the the ones like that wyron has that they're just there to devour spirits and then there's ones full of malevolent ones that are out there to okay. cause bad. So it's like it's a whole mix of different things. Mm. But like I, I haven't gotten down to I think I'm going to have Clay explain that because that's going to be like Clay's crazy theory. He's like there's like four different types of spirits in the world. And I'm going to get more into the spirits with Clay. But it's also just weird to wait, you know, 25,000 words into a book to be like, let's talk about spirits finally. Yeah. Yeah. Would Nettie's be selfish? Uh, probably. It's hard because, again, I haven't thought about the way they bond, like whether whether I want it to be a contract or not. Like, you have to do something I want. Or they're just like, hey, you do selfish things, so I'll join up with you and do selfish things. Mm. I, I guess it comes back around to what you guys were saying, where it's like, you don't want to go halfway through your book and then be like, let's talk about spirits. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and and I'm, I'm thinking in my head about most of the other like uh, fantasy books I've read, and I feel like pretty early on there's always somebody who for one reason or another has to sit down and explain how everything works to another person. Yep, and it's helpful for Wyron because he hasn't been to the mainland other than as a child. So that way I can introduce the culture and what the people are like, and he can describe like all these things and point out and be like, oh, this is interesting that you guys like eat these berries off these leaves. Sure. Like, I can do that, which is fun. It's just when it comes to the mythology of the world, it's like he knows it. He knows what the vile one was and the fight that they had, and he knows what spirits are. So it's like, where do I get to a point where he has to... Like, I have to talk about that naturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be hard. And wouldn't you be uh, worried about if you did it the other way, where you're like, I'm going to do it organically throughout the entire story, that every time anything happened, you'd be killing the flow of your story? Because yes. it'll be like, oh, he, he chased him into a castle. And then you have to be like, well, I, I've never explained what this castle is. And so you're like, well, this castle, you know, back in the 1800s. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. now, now he's in the middle of a chase, but I'm spending time... Because, you know, i got to get my lore in there. Yeah, that that's like such a problem is I worked a lot on the backstory stuff that it's like, okay, I have to talk about how the world was formed, the war against the Vile One with the Moon Guard, and then what spirits are. But, like, I don't want to do that all in the first fourth of the book because it just makes it where, like, nothing is happening in the story. You're just reading a bunch of, like, here's my made-up rules. Yeah, Yeah, because I I have that with my first chapter feels like it's nothing but people running around, like observing and explaining things about like, oh, just like give hints like, oh, this is the world greater world. But my first chapter is like super long and nothing happens but people meeting each other and being like, let's go ahead to the wagon. I feel like sometimes that can be kind of inevitable depending on your story, though, especially if you're starting in this wild new world. Yeah. Or like depending on what your premise is and everything like mine's hard because i have to jump around from so many different places that i really don't want the main character to stay in the island for too long but at the same time it's like that's the easiest place to be like his life is really normal so i'm gonna take time to explain to you why this world isn't normal rather than just being like this is a crazy world and this is a crazy mythology and the main character doesn't know what's going on that's why sometimes it sucks but you know tropes are tropes because they work really well yeah Yep. Yeah. Which means we should all start off with a character just telling a story. Once upon a time. <laughs> oh boy, yes. I mean, what better trope to start with than once upon a time? <laughs> yep. Uh, so something that I have been struggling with is that in my book with Tall, I ended it by writing chapter two. And so I was like, wait a minute. I just wrote a first chapter, but in a short story which I've written a lot of short stories in the past, but I've never made them chaptered. And basically where I'm at with this one, it's as long as one of the other short stories I'm putting into this anthology. And it's only the first chapter. So I'm kind of concerned about the length, because I feel like this one could actually take me all the way through Nano. And then I'm like, so am I even doing an anthology? Am I just writing this one story? Are you trying to like bundle them together that's your main goal because you could have this be like the main story and then you add other smaller side stories after it yeah i'm wondering if that's what i should just end up doing which uh it's kind of unfortunate because i don't find this one to be particularly scary (laughs) compared to some of the other Mm. ones it's also like if you make it long enough you could sell it on its own yeah i'm not sure i'll have to see because it's definitely it turned out to be a lot longer than i thought it was 
like just simply writing, just setting up the very beginning of it has already taken a lot longer. Hmm. Have uh have you read any Lovecraft? Yeah, I have. Because his his stories vary wildly in length. That's true. And like it, it, when when you have his like his collected works, his Necronomicon, that's they're all put together as an anthology. That's true, yeah. I've only done the audiobook, but some of them range from like a 20-minute story to like, you know, four to six hours with multiple parts and chapters. All right, I guess it wouldn't mm-hmm. be too odd then having pretty much an entire novella in with one that is as long as its first chapter. Well, again, it seemed like for him it was just like whatever the story needed. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I know we, we had talked about this before the podcast, but it's like uh, this problem can also expand out with like novels where like with me would my story be better served as a multi-book series or like ian if you writing your book do you feel like you can finish this off in one book or will you need more are you actually asking me or you're being yeah no i'm asking yeah. is it rhetorical no. oh. <laughs> you said rhetorical like i was doing it despite you <laughs> no i was i was like i was just sitting here nodding i'm like yeah can it should it be two books yeah <laughs> No, no, no. This story could all be one book. Uh, I I have it pretty well mapped out in my head. It'll be one. That's oh. good. Yeah, whereas mine's not mapped out well enough for me to answer that question succinctly. Especially thinking about like how to introduce the lore better. Yeah. Like I I I personally want it to be one, but well, I guess it, that you're going right into my topic with uh, kind of my thing about the lore is like how have you guys been handling? Because with Nano, you write a bunch of stuff. And I keep having parts where I'm like, oh, man, I totally forgot that uh, Wyron's been in this. <laughs> he's, he's been sitting there this whole time and has not said anything. <laughs> and so I want to go back and be like, clearly he would be reacting to things or interjecting or like, you know, affirming what someone's saying. <laughs> but I have to be like, no, I can't. Going back and editing is not the point of Nano. That's what you do after. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is also it's just plow on. So like, how have you guys been dealing with the fact that like... There are points where it's like, oh, I should, I never explained this, even though I've been referencing it. Like, I need to go back. Like, have you been making notes, or have you actually been going back? I've only been making mental notes, but I really need to write them down to be like, I should do this then, because there's a lot of times like that where things don't feel like they're happening correctly. I think in my books, where it's just kind of like this happens, then they travel here, then they meet this man, and then they go, and instead it's like. I need to talk about what the man is like, what his house is like before they go. I need to talk about how they're traveling. There's one point where they just travel through the woods for two days without meeting anyone. I'm like, if this is supposed to be the most popular land in my world, how would they not meet anyone for two days? But like, I can't, I'm not going to go back and write that now. It's just like, these are questions that I have to answer during a revision. Yeah, it's it's the little things like that that have been like bugging me. Yeah, I... I just have been going through and, like, I don't have names for almost anything. Like, I don't have names for any of the spirits he's been meeting. I don't have names for, uh, like, that plant he was using. And so I'll just write in all caps. I'll be like, spirit, and I know I need to go back. Or you'll write, as I witnessed, a real deal. (laughs) I was going to bring that up. So I was (laughs) writing in the same room as D. What? (laughs) Well, (laughs) so Tall was speaking and he said that he actually, because he had bought that fake plant before, and he was like, but this was the one. This was the real deal. 
And in my head, I was like, that's so stupid. And I read it out loud to Dean. He goes, you just bold it and keep writing. It's <laughs> like, all right. Yeah, I guess so. I said to bold it because it'll make it really funny on a reread. Yeah. And now oh, every boy. time I glance at it, I just see real deal. <laughs> and I'm like, this is garbage. <laughs> Yeah, because a bunch of like the uh, the asterisks that I have in mind are all like really problematic ones. Like there was one where it's like, oh, I need to like reference religion here, and I'm like, great, now I need to invent an entire religion <laughs> to <laughs> well, reference. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Back on the edit, just... and then yeah, and then today when uh, when I had Tall yelling at Anna, just being a jerk, he was yelling like, Jesus Christ, and I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> and I had to erase that. And I was like, I was like, can't have that, and I need, to, and I had to put like. Deity's name. <laughs> yeah. For me, because I got the mythology first, that stuff's really easy to do. Like instead of saying like um this like damnable, instead they call it rot sun, which is what the the hell in my world is. There you go. I think oh. my problem is that the writing doesn't feel good or flow well when I'm doing it. Like I start a lot of sentences with Wyron walked over to the table. Wyron picked up the glass to drink it. Wyron was surprised at how cool it was. It's like that's the stuff I have to go back through and be like, I need to change this. This these can't all be the same structured sentences. Yeah, since you're not used to third person. Yeah. Like I I, I think I'm better on cr- coming up with creative stuff on the spot for what my world is like but then patching it together just makes it really awkward like sometimes i describe what the food's like other times i do not sometimes i describe what the houses are like other times i do not i need to be more consistent about that but so if if this was a nano would you guys be writing differently then yeah oh yeah definitely yeah but i mean i feel like i'd also be writing significantly slower yeah. Like, um, in one of the stories I was revising recently, it took me about 30 minutes to fix one sentence when I was trying to edit it, because I wanted to find oh specifically boy. what I want to say. Yeah, and that that's my problem, and that's why Nano helps me so much. At the same time, that's why I think my story sucks so much, is because I'm not spending 30 minutes crafting it to the exact, like, phrasing and wording that I want it to be. It's just like, Wyron went to bed. Sure. <laughs> Wyron woke up. Yep. Wyron misses Horace, who is a girl. <laughs> These are Wyron's peas. Who is a girl? Yeah, I feel bad for you guys since you're both writing like pretty high fantasy that you have a lot more to it. Mine's at least mostly based in reality, so you guys have a lot more to invent. That's uh, from doing multiple types of uh, nanos now, doing ones that are based in reality are so much easier. <laughs> Because all you're like, he gets in a car, he drives. Like, mm-hmm. these are all things that you, you can describe very quickly and easily. You're not making anything up. Yeah. It's also, you, you don't need to think about really the mechanics of the world. Like, for me, no. since my stuff's pre-industrial, it's like, what do they have and what don't they have in this world to use? Yeah, or even just something as simple, like, as, as you were saying, as saying expletives. Like, it's not something that you'd normally oh, yeah, have sure. to think about. <laughs> Yeah, and there's, there's, like, certain phrasing, too, and then you get into, like, the really nebulous stuff in fantasy where you're, like, when you're writing, do you use, like, more Latin phrases, or do you want to try and divorce it as much as possible from, like, other languages of things? Like, if you use, like, the word via, it's, oh, like, is, is that a thing that's okay? If there's no, like, Spanish or Latin? Yeah. <laughs> it's a dark road. <laughs> yep, and I, I want to die on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to die on it. <laughs> yep. 
tomb more tomb. Let us in our tomb. Choose the tomb. Uh so that's been that has been two more tomb and we are ready to die eight days in. Wait, I thought we were supposed oh, to talk so about ready. a scene we're excited to write. <laughs> yes, we are. No, we already predicted we're in tombs already. To I was gonna die. end I was gonna end on a very cynical note, but you're right. Uh the final thing we have to talk about is what we're excited to write about. Yay! Yay. <laughs> And a scene I'm excited to write about is I am really looking forward to the introduction of Tall and his men and being able to portray that he is a tragic figure. He's not just like, because so far he's only been talked about through Yaris's perspective and she never liked Tall at all. Whereas like Tall's always been like trying his best to do the right thing. And I kind of want her to be the, like the, the dad that was never proud of you type of person. Mm-hmm. Where she's just always been mean to Tall, and he's just been like, I've just been trying to, like, please you. Yeah. And I'm also excited to write her death scene, because I finally started liking her, so I know once I get to her death scene, it's going to be very, like, exciting and passionate. I always know I'm writing my best when I feel, like, energized about writing a scene, yeah. rather than writing about a fish rocking a boat. <laughs> just bumping that <laughs> boat. No, that sounded awesome. <laughs> I mean, um, it might be good, but... So, the scene I'm excited for is probably just having Wyron walk out into the flesh border. I'm just excited to write that and what exactly he's going to see, just come up with a bunch of creepy things. Especially because I feel like my story with Tall is not particularly creepy. <laughs> it's not creepy enough for you? Yeah, like, I want to write some really gruesome, weird things, whereas that just isn't quite there. Yeah, I feel like you like thrive on heebie-jeebies. Really. Yeah, I just I want to write something that gets like your goosebumps going. Yeah, and just thinking about—I mean, just the name, the flesh border is <laughs> pretty creepy. <laughs> That's why I named it like that. <laughs> I'm also just get to the creepy stuff. That's what I want. But isn't your creepy stuff like really far away? No, it's flesh border, man. Flesh borders everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought like it was at the end, like you said last week. That's the last thing I wrote. I said, next stop, flesh border. The wagon itself, flesh border. <laughs> They're already there. Yep. So is that like your first of many creepy things coming up, Ian? No, I just want to get to that because just like Liz, <laughs> that's like that's when things release or hitting the fan. Okay. Wait. That's when things get nuts. <laughs> but aren't you only like, what was it? 10,000 words in? 6,000? 6,000? Yeah. So I, I'm looking forward to whatever the, I don't know, <laughs> yeah. the, last t- the last 10% of my book. <laughs> By Thanksgiving, <laughs> he'll be excited. If, I, if I'm being honest, the thing I'm looking forward to is maybe word 15,000, which I think will be the last word I write for this <laughs> nano read. Wow. Ha- hashtag to me. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag I pick tomb. Yep. All right, well, that's what we're excited for. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks. Uh, yep, and now we end the podcast, as always, where we just yell Horace. <laughs> Horace! <laughs> <laughs>